Jumanji, 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 Hello, guys. Welcome to Unwatchable. My name is Chloe Rodriguez, and I am your host. We are going to go on a jungle adventure today. We're going to be swinging through trees and fighting off monkeys and getting eaten by hippos, and it's going to be a wild ride. We're going to be rolling dice. We're going to be uh, yelling things, specifically Jumanji, which is what we're going to be talking about today. I am absolutely confused by this franchise, Um, specifically the new movies in this franchise, the reboots that have inexplicably done very well. Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle came out in 2017, and the newest installment of the franchise, Jumanji The Next Level, just came out this weekend, and we're going to be talking about that, as well as the first Jumanji movie, the Jumanji that started it all in 1995, starring Robin Williams and Bonnie Hunt. We'll be touching on that a little bit. And then we'll be talking about the reboot version of Jumanji, starring Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, Karen Gillum, and Jack Black. The reason that I thought it would be interesting to talk about this today is because I think everyone, when they heard that they were going to be bringing back Jumanji, everyone was just kind of like, why? And there are so many reboots and so many remakes happening right now. And whenever they break out these old classics from your childhood and try to reimagine them, a lot of people are just not on board and it feels very unnecessary. And that's kind of what Jumanji felt like when they announced that they were going to be making these movies. And against all odds, they've been a big success and a lot of people have fallen in love with them and we're going to talk about why because I I think it's fascinating that in this era of everything being redone and everything being reimagined that these movies out of all movies would you know kind of be the series that everyone's like huh I actually liked it oh I want to see more like it's it's crazy that these are the ones that stuck um so we're going to be getting into why I think that is, what makes this reboot series stand out from other ones, how does it, how does it compare to the original, and then we're going to talk about my personal opinion. Do I think they're just unwatchable garbage, or are they actually maybe worth your time? Are they just kind of soulless, unwatchable cash grabs, or do they actually reinvent something Do they actually reimagine parts of the franchise for the good? We're going to be looking at all of that, you guys. Um, And the reason that I don't have a guest on this episode today is because, you know, I had something else that was recorded. It was a lot more personal. It was kind of a, a mental health episode that I thought would be great to put out for the holiday season. And once I sat down and started recording it, it just became too personal. And I wasn't really ready to share that with you guys just yet. So perhaps in the future, I'll have the courage to release something like that. It's very different from any of my other episodes. I do talk a little bit about TV shows and movies that bring me comfort when I'm struggling with mental health, but the the subject matter as a whole was very hard for me to talk about, and I just didn't feel like I was ready to release it. So instead, I I kind of had this idea and thought it was relevant because the new Jumanji movie has just come out. So I decided it would be a better idea to 
uh, talk about that. And, you know, maybe one day in the future, if I'm more comfortable releasing that mental health episode or re-recording it, then I'll put that out for you guys. But as it stands now, I just wasn't comfortable doing that, and I hope you can understand. So let's dive into Jumanji. Okay, so before we dive into the new movies in the Jumanji series, I thought I should give you a little summary of what the original Jumanji film was like. This movie came out December 15th, 1995, and the basic premise of it is, um, while exploring an old mansion, two youngsters find a curious jungle-themed game called Jumanji in the attic. When they start playing, they free Alan Parrish, who's been stuck in the game's inner world for decades. If they win Jumanji, the kids can free Alan for good, but that means braving giant bugs, ill-mannered monkeys, and even stampeding rhinos. I think when people look back on Jumanji, the first thing that comes to mind is obviously Robin Williams. And he's really good in this movie. He's really funny and... I think what Robin Williams always brings to any movie he's in is commitment, and you can tell that he's, even if it's a funny role, he's taking it so seriously. It's funny because I actually watched the rebooted films before I actually watched this original version, and so I wasn't going into it with any level of nostalgia. But I had heard people talk about Jumanji and I knew the basic premise and it's really funny because I feel like so many people have really fond childhood memories for this film and when I'm when I'm on the internet looking over some research to make this podcast it didn't get that great of reception it has a 54% on Rotten Tomatoes for one which is lower than the percentages for the new movie Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, or uh, Jumanji The Next Level. Like, the new franchise has gotten better ratings than the original Jumanji film, which I think is interesting. Also, it was heavily panned by critics because they felt that it didn't have the special effects that were, you know, basically capable enough to really tell the story effectively. They were dealing with 1995 effects. And when I was re-watching it, I mean, that is obviously where they're put at a deficit in comparison to these newer films. Um, Like the scene where Alan gets sucked into the board game and he just kind of looks like Flat Stanley flying through the air. I mean, obviously they, they only had so much to work with. And I think that we should be judging films based on the time period that they were created. So I don't mark it down for that. Um, But when I'm I'm going through and looking at the reviews that it received, that's where a lot of the complaints were. Like they were basically saying that it didn't look good enough to fully tell the story. And I mean, that's kind of true. The spiders that come out at the end look like giant, you know, fake plastic spiders um when peter transforms into a monkey it's like really jarring and unsettling um but you know they could only do so much you can't really blame them for the technology that they had at their disposal at the time but i think that that is where you know a modern reimagining of the film can really do a lot more think about Think about how much technology has advanced since then. Um, 
So already I think that's one example of, you know, why remaking Jumanji might open it up to maybe some better storytelling this time around. Um, But we'll get into that in a moment. So, you know, that's the original Jumanji. You got Bonnie Hunt, you got Kirsten Dunst, you got Robin Williams. Family fun. It was a one-off film. They didn't make it into a franchise. And a lot of people looked back on it pretty fondly. In 2015, Sony Pictures announced their goal to revamp the Jumanji franchise and update it for a modern audience. And I remember when they made this announcement. People were pissed off, especially since Robin Williams had recently passed away. Everyone thought this was a terrible idea. It's so funny to me because so many things have been redone and remade, and I can't remember this much backlash being made over the announcement of a remake. I think generally people think that they're kind of stupid or unnecessary, and they're like, ugh, why are they remaking this? Everyone is remaking everything. I hadn't heard people be so enraged about the announcement of a remake, especially of like a one-off film, in a long time. And I I hadn't even seen the original Jumanji. I wasn't really invested in it. And I heard people talking about it all the time. So already I feel like people were ready to hate the new Jumanji movies. And that brings us to December of 2017, when the remake finally came out, the first movie, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Now, I had no intention whatsoever of watching this movie. I hadn't seen the first one. I wasn't very invested. Everyone was talking about what a terrible idea it was, how they were going to ruin this family classic. And I, I really didn't want to see it. I really didn't care. However... Once this film came out, everybody was talking to me about it. Like, everyone. It was really weird. I talked to a lot of people who were, like, film fanatics. Like, people who I had, I had gone to film school with. And they were like, dude, you have to go see the new Jumanji movie. It's so good. I was so shocked. I couldn't believe it. The actors are so great. It's so funny. And I was like, what? What is everyone talking about? Like, why do people like this movie? I thought that it was, you know, I thought people were just getting overhyped because every so often there's a a movie that comes out that everyone is talking about. Everyone says you have to see. And then, you know, three years later, everyone forgot that it existed. So I thought that Jumanji was going to be like that. And I had no intention of seeing it. But after so many people asked me my opinion of it, asked me if I had seen it, told me that I had to go see it, I was like, fine, I'll, I'll go watch Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. And I went in there thoroughly expecting to have, you know, an, a forgettable experience. I'm going to paraphrase the synopsis of this movie a little bit. Um, set 21 years after the original Jumanji, It follows four teenagers who are transported into the video game world of Jumanji and play as their chosen characters. Joining another player, they must beat the game to return home, and along the way, learn more about each other and themselves. This reincarnation of Jumanji was directed by Jake Kasdan. His previous directing credits included 2011's Bad Teacher 
and 2014's Sex Tape. So I guess that kind of gives you a little bit of insight into what he brings to the table there. (laughs) He also works uh, with Judd Apatow a lot and worked with him on Freaks and Geeks and Undeclared. So when you're looking at his credits, you kind of get more of a sense as to how maybe his voice was brought into the new franchise. There's also four writers who are credited on this movie, and that's not usually a good sign. There's usually a a running gag throughout, you know, the Hollywood scene that the more writers you have on a film, the worse it's going to be. Those writers are Jeff Pinkner, Scott Rosenberg, Eric Summers, and Chris McKenna, who some of you might know from writing some of the best episodes ever of the show Community. Um, He's also given the story by credit, which tells me that he probably had a lot more to do with the actual concept and reframing of the story than his three counterparts. Um, But there you go. Just a little bit of background on the people that helped bring us this new retelling of Jumanji. So let's dive into it. I saw Welcome to the Jungle, and I thought that it was actually good and was surprised that I thought it was good and gladly went to go see the sequel last week when it came out. Here's here's the thing, you guys. A few weeks ago, I released my episode about The Mummy, and my guest Shayna and I were talking about how we acknowledge that it's not a good, like, cinematic masterpiece, but something about it was so charming that it made us really like it, and that's why people are still talking about it. And I kind of got the same vibes when I saw Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. I know that it's a flawed movie. I know that by all accounts, it should be just a a stupid, terrible movie, but it's not. I, for some reason, even though every, like, fiber of who I am as a person wants to dislike this movie, wants to shit on it, I can't do that because for some reason, it's a really enjoyable and funny movie. And I think people went into it with such low expectations. Nobody wanted this film to be made. I think that they set the bar so low for this movie that just by giving us like an adequate storyline, it exceeded everybody's expectations. But funnily enough, I don't think that's the reason that it's successful. I don't think that it's actually a bad movie that just did better than people thought, and that's why it became successful. I genuinely think there's a lot of good elements to this movie, and I like the way that it pays homage to the original without trying to be a a shot-for-shot remake for it. I'll touch on Jumanji The Next Level in a moment, but I'm going to save that to the end in case some of you guys haven't seen that one. I don't want to spoil the new one right out of the gate for you, so I'll save that to the end, and I'll put a little timestamp at the end. So for right now, we'll just talk about Welcome to the Jungle. That came out two years ago. You probably should have seen it at this point if you don't want to get spoiled. So the first reason that I think this movie actually worked is because they were able to find a way to 
bring back Jumanji and modernize it without ruining the magic of the first movie for you. They didn't try to keep it as the exact same characters. They didn't set it in the same time period. And they had the game work in a completely different way from the original that pays homage to the basic concept of it, but doesn't completely redo it. And I think just the concept of Jumanji, there's a lot to work with. I mean, you can have the different challenges and different jungle creatures and and different aspects of the game. You can switch it around in a way that doesn't ruin it. I mean, just by the basic premise of it, it's something that's very malleable and something that you can play with a lot. Um, And so that's why I think something like this works really well. There's a lot of room to play around with it because the only thing you really have to hit is people get sucked into a game and it comes to life and they're now in a life or death situation where they have to play the game. That's it. That's all you need to make a Jumanji movie. And so there's a lot of room to play with it. Those are the basic points that you have to hit. You know, it's not necessarily about the characters. It's more about the actual premise of the movie. Whereas in a reboot of, you know, for instance, how they they brought back the Star Wars franchise, those are universally beloved characters that you have to think about. It's a revered universe that's already been created that you need to hit every point of before you can start building on it and creating new original ideas for the franchise to play off of that makes it stand out from the original films. Since Jumanji is really known for its premise and not for its standout characters, you have a lot more leeway. And I think what they did with that leeway is really amazing and it makes sense in a way that appeals to a more modern audience. So in these new movies, you know, we're starting off and seeing Jumanji as a board game. And then when the board game learns that people don't really play board games anymore, everything is about video games, it transforms itself into a video game that its victims can then be sucked into. And that is the best decision that they could have ever made for these reboots. Because now we're getting something different. Instead of the game coming to us and the game affecting the real world, we get people from the real world being sucked into the game and coming to the game. And now we're completely enveloped into the world of Jumanji instead of the world of Jumanji being enveloped in us, in our real world. It also gives you a lot to play off of, and they do it really well. You know, they have the CPUs, they have a life counter, they have items, they have strengths and weaknesses, and I mean, the avatars as a concept is just what completely makes this movie hilarious and amazing. They do a really good job of taking the concept of being in a video game and using it to its fullest. They really 
put in a lot of detail as to how actual video games work and how you would have to interact with that world. And they use that to build tension in an amazing way because everybody has a life count. And so anytime anything bad happens to you and you start to lose lives, more of that tension starts to build and you really get that sense of this is a life or death adventure. I'm going to pull a review from Roger Ebert, because you know we love Roger Ebert here on Unwatchable. Um, And it's interesting because this is what he had to say about the original Jumanji film, the Robin Williams Jumanji. He did not like the movie, and in regards to the board game unleashing one hazard after another on its main characters, he said, It's like those video games where you achieve one level after another by killing and not getting killed. And then he further pans the movie by saying, The ultimate level for young viewers will be being able to sit all the way through this movie. He also says that he disagrees with the PG rating and feels that the movie should have been given a PG-13 rating because as it stands as a PG film, the special effects are a little bit too jarring for children, but a little bit too wimpy for adults. He thinks it should have been made for audiences in between. And I'm just saying the new ones are PG-13 and they play into the video game universe. And uh, maybe Roger Ebert is a genius, just saying. Now let's get into my second point. And the real thing that I think catapulted this movie into becoming a success, and that is the cast and the characters. And this point kind of also goes hand in hand with my third point, which is the humor of this movie. Um, I can't really talk about the cast and characters in this film without also talking about how funny it is, because they are a huge reason why the humor works. So we're starting off with basically four archetype characters. You have kind of a large, macho athlete named Fridge, played by Sir Darius Blaine. You have the quiet, shy, snarky character of Martha, played by Morgan Turner. You have kind of the dumb, blonde, pretty popular girl character named Bethany Walker, played by Madison Iceman. And finally, our lead character, Spencer Giplin, played by Alex Wolf. He is the unpopular nerd. It's important that we start off with characters who are kind of stereotypical because that way we can really distinguish who they are once they are in the video game and they no longer look like themselves. Because the most important part of the movie is that everyone is given an avatar who is essentially the opposite of who they are in real life. So once they get into the game, Fridge is transformed into little Kevin Hart, a tiny little zoologist who has a bunch of weaknesses. Martha is transformed into Ruby Roundhouse, played by Karen Gillan. Um, who's kind of like a martial arts badass, dorky, little scared-by-everything Spencer, is transformed into Dr. Smolder Bravestone, played by the obviously enormous and seemingly scared-of-nothing Dwayne Johnson. And then really the funniest part of this movie is that, you know, little blonde popular girl 
Bethany is transformed into Professor Shelley Oberon, played by Jack Black, who looks like Jack Black, and that's basically the entire gag, is that she now looks like Jack Black. Whoever cast this movie got it so frickin' right. Honestly, Jack Black is a huge standout in this movie. He plays this role of this, like, spoiled white girl so well that it's scary. And he does it in a way where it doesn't really get old because he's somehow able to show, like, other sides of her character and kind of bring out the more redeeming qualities about her. I don't know. It's just very strange. He's very good in this movie, and I didn't think he was going to be. I thought it was going to be kind of a one-off character, and the whole gag gets kind of old. That's what it kind of looked like from the trailer to me. But he's also able to bring out some of her good qualities. And I would say this about all of those characters, these four main people, they're actually all able to bring out other sides of these characters that we hadn't seen in them yet, while also pretending to be those characters stuck in another person's body. It's very strange, but the four of them all pull it off really well. And through these four actors, you're kind of able to start to like these characters more and see more sides of them and their more redeeming qualities. And I feel like that's really hard to do while you're playing so many different levels, no pun intended. I mean, Nick Jonas is in this movie too, but since we don't really get to know his character that much before he's transported into the game and it's supposed to kind of be a reveal that he is that missing character, Alex Freak, that got sucked into the game. It, it, he's just, it, he doesn't have to be as archetyped and he doesn't really have to do as much as the other four leads. Um, so even though he is in this movie, he does serve a different role. And that leads me to my last point of why this movie actually worked against all odds. And that is the tone. I think something that so many remakes try to do is take an existing movie and make it into a, a cinematic masterpiece that they're, they're trying to surpass what the original was. And a lot of times that doesn't work because they're taking themselves so seriously. I mean, how many times have you seen Disney talk about how they're going to remake one of their films and they're going to put a darker, more serious, modern twist on it? They tried to do that with the Jungle Book. They tried to make it more dark and serious and the dangers of the jungle. They're doing that with Mulan. I mean, they took out all of the musical numbers because they didn't want it to be cartoony. And I think Jumanji did the complete opposite of that. I think Jumanji took itself less seriously than the original incarnation did. I think that's really why they take the time to be really funny and be really immature. And it works because like these are teenagers and they would act like that i mean there's a whole scene where jack black is like surprised by his own dick and like (laughs) theoretically it's a, a person who's never had to pee with a dick and has to like learn how to do it and jack black plays it so freaking well of just being like kind of in awe i mean karen gillen is really good in this movie i only knew her as nebula um from Guardians of the Galaxy, and she's really funny. 
like the whole dance fighting sequence. I mean, that's so stupid, but it's so necessary in a way and just completely aligns with like the rest of the tone of the movie. I mean, they just want to have fun. I think this movie knows exactly what it is and it's not trying to be anything more than that. I mean, there is a message. At the end of the day, all these characters learn more about themselves through being in these avatars' bodies, and they get to know each other more and, you know, form a friendship and see each other outside of the one-dimensional box that they had put them in before. So there definitely is an underlying message, but it's not really a preachy one. It's literally just, you know, be yourself and have confidence in yourself and understand that everybody has multiple sides to themselves, which is like not the most unique, I guess, moral. But I mean, this isn't really a movie that you go to to unlock the secrets of the universe. I mean, the story really doesn't matter as much as just the fantasy and the fun and the humor. I think at the end of the day, it's a movie that's like, hey, wouldn't it be fun if you got sucked into a video game? Hey, wouldn't it be funny if this little blonde girl was trapped in Jack Black's body? Wouldn't it be funny if Dwayne Johnson was mesmerized by his own physique? I think that's ultimately what makes this movie work and really makes audiences like it. I think when a movie is self-aware and kind of has the lack of ego to say, hey, this is what I am, and I'm not trying to be the godfather here. I'm just trying to be a really fun time where you guys can laugh and, you know, you get some action and you get some humor, and then at the end of the day, we all get to go home. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with a movie that does that, as long as it has the self-awareness to, you know know that that's what it is. Is it the most original movie that's ever been made? I mean, by the the whole point that it's a remake or a reboot, obviously not. Is it something that should be put on a pedestal as the peak example of expert writing and movie making and storytelling? I mean, no. I mean, there's definitely plot holes, like that scene where Bethany is able to like give mouth to mouth to Nick Jonas and give him one of her lives. How the fuck does that work? And like, why weren't people just giving each other all their lives throughout the movie? That never really gets explained. It's not the greatest movie of all time. It's like a solid, I don't know, B rated movie on a scale of A to F. It's a B, I suppose. Maybe even a B minus. And as long as they're is a semblance of trying. I don't really care if it's a B- movie, as long as it's not pretending to be an A-plus movie. So those are kind of my thoughts on the revamping of the Jumanji series, and now I'm going to kind of go into what the sequel was like. If you guys don't want any spoilers, then I would suggest just uh, dipping out here, and I'll see you guys next week. And if you guys have seen the movie, or you don't really care about spoilers, or you're listening to this two years from now and you just wanted to look back at some of my old episodes, then keep on listening. All right, moving on to Jumanji, the next level. If there was any question as to whether or not people were looking forward to this sequel, I'm just going to put it out there. 
The first reboot, Welcome to the Jungle, the reboot that no one wanted, no one asked for, made $962.1 million at the box office. As of right now, when I'm recording this on December 18th, it has been five days since Jumanji The Next Level came out in theaters. It's already made $213 million globally, and it overthrew Frozen 2 as the number one spot in the box office. Now, if you guys are listening to this in the future, it's they're probably already on like Frozen 5 or something right now, and maybe people have gotten franchise fatigue. But at the moment, that's a really big deal because Frozen is just a fucking reigning champion. So the fact that Jumanji The Next Level took Frozen 2's spot and usurped its throne as number one in the box office, that's a pretty big deal. Especially for a sequel to a reboot of a another movie that came out in 1995. But anyway, I saw this movie. What are my thoughts? Once again, I came into this movie with extremely low expectations. I thought, okay, you know, welcome to the jungle. It was it was a surprise smash. It actually did better than I thought it would. It was entertaining, but there's no way that the sequel is going to be good. And so I went into it thinking, well, this is going to suck. I'm going to cut right to the chase. It's not as good as Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. It's just not. However, I don't think it was a terrible sequel. Or I guess threequel, if you're including the 1995 version of the movie. So in Jumanji The Next Level, uh, we are cutting ahead where all of these teenagers are now in their first year of college. Fridge is like a gym rat. Martha is kind of coming into her own and becoming popular. Um, And Spencer is living in New York and really, really struggling and feeling kind of homesick and not really sure where he stands in the world, um, which is an experience that I think a lot of people have their freshman year of college, especially when they're, you know, living away from home for the first time. And Bethany, I don't, re- I really don't remember what Bethany was doing. I don't remember if they said anything about it. I don't know if she's going to school. Sorry. I don't remember what the hell was going on with Bethany. I don't think it mattered. <laughs> Spencer goes home for the holidays, and he's supposed to meet up with all of his old friends. And he's really nervous about it, especially because he and Martha, I guess, were dating, and now they're on a break, and things are weird. So he decides to go back into Jumanji that he can experience being uh, Dr. Bravestone one last time. And then all the other characters figure out that he went back into Jumanji and they go back in to save him. That's basically the premise. Which I thought was a little bit far-fetched until I rewatched the first one and I realized that there's a moment at the end of Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle where he asks Martha if she would stay behind with him and they could continue living out their lives in Jumanji as these characters. And I was like, oh shit, I forgot that they kind of set up that part in the sequel. So then when I <laughs> when I rewatched that part, I was like, okay, it's not really out of left field. They set this up before. So I guess I can't really complain about that other than the fact that no person in their right mind would go back into Jumanji without a fucking plan, but whatever. And then there's a character where his grandpa is at his house recovering from hip surgery, and he's played by Danny DeVito, 
And Danny DeVito has a friend who he used to run a restaurant with, and they're fighting. And that dude is played by Danny Glover. And it's just obviously like they're only there for the setup of that. Like they're going to get sucked into Jumanji and be in these avatar bodies. I think that's what they learned was the main source of humor and the main thing that people took away from the first uh, Jumanji reboot movie was this concept of everyone being in these avatars. And I think when they sat down to write this sequel, they were like, wouldn't it be funny if Danny DeVito was in Dwayne Johnson's body? Which it is a little bit, but I don't think it works as well as they thought it was going to. And I'll get to that in a second. So what do I think they did well in this sequel? Um, For one, I think they did a good job of building another level to Jumanji without having it be a rehash of what we saw in the previous movie. We're obviously, we're not welcome back to the jungle. Now we're in the sand dunes and now we're in the mountains in the snow but we're still getting some callbacks. We're still dealing with Nigel Billingsley, the NPC, who I realized in this earlier in the podcast I called a CPU, but I meant NPC. It's still set up and works the way that the previous level worked, and that makes sense because when you're playing a video game, you're not just getting to another level and then being in an entirely new universe with different people in a whole new video game. So it made sense that they would repeat some of those things from before. They were able to reuse some of the stuff that worked in the first movie in a way that makes sense in the video game world. Like, for example, we got another dance fighting scene with Ruby Roundhouse, but that didn't just feel like a rehash. It makes sense because if you're carrying on those same strengths that you had in another level, why wouldn't you... Like, when you're playing Pokemon, you don't just use one power one time. It's not like Bulbasaur can only use Vine Whip once for like the entire game you use things multiple times when you're playing super smash brothers i mean captain falcon doesn't just get one falcon punch like if you did it more than once people wouldn't be like well that seems like a rehash it'd be like no this is my character in the game and these are the powers that they have so i don't really have a problem with them reusing those things from the first movie I think where this new movie kind of fell flat a little bit to me was with the introduction of these two new characters. We have Milo Walker, who's played by Danny Glover, and he's kind of a, a slow-talking old gentleman who just wants to make amends with his friend and lead a quiet life, and he gets trapped into Kevin Hart's body. Um, Kevin Hart actually does a really good job playing that character, I think it served him a lot more than his character in the first movie when he was playing Fridge. And I think he did a good job in that movie, but I actually think this one played onto his comedic strengths more and gave him a little bit more time to shine. And then there's Spencer's grandpa, Eddie, played by Danny DeVito. And he's kind of like the cranky, curmudgeonly, stereotypical grandpa who forgets things all the time. And of course, he gets trapped in Dwayne Johnson's body because ha ha ha, that's so funny. I mean, which it is, it is, but I don't think Dwayne Johnson pulls it off as well. I think this is both a blessing and a curse 
to the movie in a very strange way. I think when I saw the trailer and I realized that Dwayne Johnson was essentially going to play Danny DeVito, I was like, that sounds hilarious. That sounds great. But it really didn't amount to much. I mean, kind of (laughs) Dwayne Johnson just kind of put on like a New Jersey accent and that's it. I don't think he was as well suited for that as people thought he would be. I think the idea was funnier than the execution. And then Fridge gets trapped in Jack Black's body. And once again, I think Jack Black did a really good job. I think he did a really good job taking on that actor's mannerisms without, you know, making it too questionable or going too over the top with it. It was just ridiculous enough that it it worked. But kind of when we started getting further into the movie, it kind of became grating to me that every joke was like, Oh my gosh, it's Danny DeVito in the Dwayne Johnson's body. Oh my god, it's old Danny Glover in Kevin Hart's body. Like, just the concept of these two new older characters that were purely put in there for comedy's sake just kind of got old to me. It is revealed that that's kind of purposeful because at some point they all realize that they're trapped in the wrong body and that they should all try to switch avatars, which they're able to do. There's also a point where Bethany comes back into the game and she's a horse, and I thought that was funny. So it kind of all makes sense that they wouldn't really fully work in these avatars, and so they're able to all switch back into the avatars they want to be in because of this magical water that makes them all change positions, and I mean, that's kind of a plot hole because that's just, wow, so convenient, but whatever, it works. So in a way, it's almost like they wanted them to not be that good in those avatars, But they spend so long, they spend so much time in the movie as those avatars that it's really hard to not get annoyed with it after a while. Side note, when they switch bodies and Aquafina takes on Danny DeVito's part, like that was something that I never knew I needed. I thought she was really good as that. As being like an old man from New Jersey and being Danny DeVito, I, for some reason, like, I didn't think that's where they were going with it. And she did a really good job. And I was honestly, like, so surprised at how much better she was at it than Dwayne Johnson. I mean, whether or not that was intentional, because it was part of the plot, still, I mean, once they all switched characters again, it was like, phew. Finally, a return to like the characters that we know and love. Like we wanted to see Jack Black as Bethany. We wanted to see Spencer as Dr. Smolder Bravestone. And I think the whole concept of, you know, the humor coming from everyone being in these different avatars, they backed themselves into a corner a little bit because, you know, I think if they had all come in as those avatars we all know them as originally, It would have gotten old, and it would have kind of seemed like a rehash of the first one. So I kind of understand why they had to do it that way. And then they had to think of, well, you know, people do want to see them in these old avatars at some point. So how are we going to justify them all switching? So in in a way, I think they kind of did the best that they could with it. I think the reason that it really felt like a problem for me was... A, it's obvious that in the first movie, they selected each of these stereotypes to be trapped in each of these avatars because that's what was best suited for them. 
It made sense for this shy, sarcastic girl to turn into this badass Ruby Roundhouse. It made sense for this athletic jock who's obsessed with fitness to get transformed into the minute in stature Kevin Hart. Because they were all coming into like basically their opposite body and kind of getting what they needed from that experience. So it doesn't work as well in the second one when everyone takes over different bodies. It's funny, but it doesn't seem as though it serves as much of a purpose. And B, I wasn't that invested in the new characters that they introduced. It felt a little bit shoehorned in the sense that it's like, okay guys, now you have to meet this new character. This is Danny DeVito and it's Spencer's grandpa. And oh, now you have to meet this new character. And this is Danny DeVito's friend, Danny Glover. And they have an argument because years and years ago, they ran a restaurant together and one of them wanted to retire and one of them didn't. And now they're mad at each other. And oh, now they're all getting sucked into the game. And... Now we have to learn all about their backstory and they've got to resolve their conflict and at the same time we have to explain everything to them because they're old men and they don't understand how video games worked and it just got a little bit exhausting to me. I also think there was a moment at the end where they crossed the line from not taking themselves too seriously to actually maybe trying to take themselves a little seriously. And it wasn't really a turn that took you by surprise. I mean, this character, Milo, Danny Glover, who we're just introduced to this movie, reveals that he has an illness and he's dying. And then he ultimately decides to stay in the video game as a Pegasus. And I think they're actually trying to pull at your heartstrings a little bit at the end where he decides to stay and decides his life is better that way. But I don't know, it was one of those moments of sincerity that I didn't think they had earned and seemed a little bit out of place in this franchise. And maybe I'll be taken by surprise. I mean, it's obvious that they're setting themselves up for another movie after this. Um, And maybe he'll come back in that movie. And, you know, maybe, maybe it'll be a little bit more important. Maybe they, you know, already have that movie mapped out and they needed one of those characters to stay behind and... His made the most sense to do that. Um, But as it stands right now, that moment just really didn't do it for me. It didn't seem like we were attached enough to his character to make it really matter when he left. And I also thought it was kind of predictable. I kind of saw it coming as soon as they revealed the sickness. And they definitely did set themselves up for another movie. I mean, they have an end credit scene where it seems like Jumanji is starting to leak into the real world. We get this scene at the end where Lamorne Morris from New Girl, ow, ow, uh, he comes in and he sees the video game and he wants to restore it. We get that music cue of Jumanji and we hear that rumble in the ground and we see animals start to run through the city. And if there is another movie, which I'm sure there will be, I really do hope Lamorne Morris is in it because I love him and he is really funny. And I'm so glad that like, his career is starting to take off a little more after New Girl. It's just a complete side note, but I love him. So did I think that the next level was bad? Um, That's a tough one. I mean, this is unwatchable, and so if I have to classify this movie as unwatchable or watchable, then I think I'm still going to classify it as watchable, despite all the flaws that I just talked about. 
because I think it does do a really good job of kicking off this movie in a way that ties itself together well with Welcome to the Jungle um, without being a complete rehash of Welcome to the Jungle. It's at least trying to give us something different with these characters, these new characters that it's introducing. It's still giving us that moment of everyone coming back into the avatars we know them as. We're getting another dance fighting sequence. So we're getting a mix of the things that we loved in the first movie while still having some new and original ideas in this one. And I think the thing overall that makes this movie really work is that it is really funny and the performances are still just as good as they were in the first. It doesn't feel like these actors had any fatigue going into this one. I mean, Jack Black is just as good as he ever was, but more specifically, I think Kevin Hart really gets a chance to stand out in this one. I think he's the one exception where I actually like him more as this new character as this new, like, slow-talking Danny Glover character. Um, And I think it actually works for him and plays to his strengths more than the previous movie did. He was just playing basically like a buff teenager. And in both of these movies, I thought Karen Gillan was great. I think she is a really great character because while everyone else's humor is kind of a little more over-the-top, Hers is a lot more real and a lot more human, and I think hers is the character that kind of grounds everybody else and kind of grounds the movie in a way. I think that's why they chose to keep her as the same character and the same avatar for both of these movies, because she is really the anchor of these films. I think she does an amazing job of portraying a character who is intelligent and also insecure and also kind of finding themselves and coming to their own and and gaining confidence. And I just, I think she's offering something that's different from what the other characters in this movie are offering. I think she's just great in both of these films and really stood out to me. I think what I enjoy about this reboot franchise is that At the end of the day, they weren't trying to just remake something for the sake of remaking it and making money. It really feels like they wanted to do something different to it. And as much as they wanted to pay respect to the 1995 Jumanji, they also wanted to make something that could stand on its own and be enjoyed just for what it is. And I think that's the key to making a good reboot. I think you need to A, take something that lends itself well to the actual concept of being redone, something that's not convoluted or extremely character-based, something that just has an interesting premise that you can do a lot with, and B, you have to be able to do something with it that audiences haven't seen before, and you need to be able to make it something where it wasn't just made to be made. It was made because you want to further explore that universe and further explore that premise and update it in a way that's not going to strip off the original enchantment of the first movie or franchise. So I know I've been talking about this for like almost an hour. I'll let you guys get on with your day. But in my opinion, that is what made 
Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle and Jumanji The Next Level surprisingly kind of good and surprisingly really made them work in a way that based off of the reception that was put out there after they announced these remakes uh I don't think anyone could have predicted that they would turn out the way that they did I recommend that you watch them at least watch Welcome to the Jungle I think it's really fun and really stupid and humorous and immature and not serious it's a really fun movie to just put on when you want to shut off your brain and not fill it with you know reality show garbage fill it with an actual narrative i can't believe i actually watched these movies i can't believe i actually enjoyed them and i can't believe i spent nearly an hour of my life dissecting why they actually work and uh, admitting to all of you that I actually kind of enjoy them. I mean, I'm more shocked than anyone, you guys. I'm, I, I can't believe that <laughs> these actually worked out to be somewhat enjoyable. Believe you me, I had absolutely no expectations. So that is my Jumanji episode, you guys. I really hope you enjoyed it. I'm sorry I didn't have a guest, but sometimes that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Um, Next week, I cannot believe I'm saying this, but we're going to be doing our Christmas special. I feel like Christmas just really snuck up this year, and it happens to fall on a Wednesday, the day that this podcast comes out. So um, tune in next week for some festive fun, you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this completely unnecessary rant. I feel like that's how I should be ending all of my episodes. Thanks for listening to Unwatchable, you guys. My name is Chloe Rodriguez. I will see you next week.